Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. This church is getting messed up a lot. There's all kinds of things that are coming against them. And Timothy, it's your job to go in there and straighten them out. Timothy, you better be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You better be ready to be able to stand firm in the course because, again, if you don't have that passion, if you don't have that zeal, if you don't have that stick-to-itiveness, you're going to get eaten up, Timothy. And so Paul is writing him here. While many of us have never been in the ministry of pastoring, we'd probably all agree that it's not for the faint of heart. For most of us, even the idea of teaching a group of people leaves us feeling uncomfortable or anxious. Combine that with the warning in James about teachers of the word being held to a higher accountability, we'd probably pass on it altogether. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us about the high demands of teaching and pastoring. In our study, we learn the importance of being constantly filled with the Spirit when leading God's flock. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, the pastoral epistles and intro to 1 Timothy. He said, I want you to go and and, and I want you to appoint elders there at the church in Crete. And yes, there was recognized leadership. There was, again, an organizational structure. And again, we see that in the life and the heart of God Almighty. Even with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is an organized structure. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. He speaks of Christ. Christ does all things that the Father tells him to do. And yet all three of them equal as God. But yet there has to be organization. There has to be structure. Titus, I want you to go to Crete. I want you to teach true. I want you to teach balanced doctrine. Because, beloved, a feel-good gospel is no gospel at all. Because it doesn't touch our hearts and lives where they need to be touched. There was something also different about Crete, though. It's very interesting, the the history of, of Crete. Actually, most of the people there on the Isle of Crete, they were descendants of pirates, mercenaries, and swindlers. It was kind of like what they did to the country of Australia years and years ago when England would send it over, you know, all the prisoners to Australia. Just to get, but Crete is a lot smaller than Australia. So now in this condensed little island, you've got all of these guys, pirates, mercenaries, and swindlers. And then again, the descendants of them are, are what they're looking at now. And that's where you get to be the pastor of, Titus. We're going to send you right to the heart of all these kind of guys. And it's kind of interesting. Paul understood that the going was going to be slow. It was going to be tough. Man, you are going to be on tough, tough ground. As I talk to pastors, it's interesting when one says, man, the Lord has put me on some 
really hard ground where, where I pastor. And the next guy said, oh, no, no, the Lord put me on a hard ground. No, 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 the Lord put me on a hard ground. I think everywhere is a hard ground, particularly today, because people are getting further and further and further away from a grounded foundation, a young foundation in the faith. We're raising up a generation after a generation, now almost the third generation, without any kind of Bible knowledge, without any kind of Christian foundation underneath them. And so, yes, beloved, a hard, hard ground. Where Well, Titus was in a hard place. But these people needed the gospel just like everyone else needs it. One of the things that we, we read uh, as far as understanding the background of Crete is when Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter 1, he's talking about how these Cretans are particular people. He says that one of them, actually it's a prophet of their own, said that Cretans are liars, they're evil beasts, they're lazy gluttons. That's one of their own that's saying that. And Paul says, and that testimony is true, by the way. Therefore, Titus, you need to be the guy that goes in there and you need to be the one that rebukes them sharply in order that they might be found, might be found sound in their faith. Titus, you've got that job to do. As we get into this study, we understand that we're speaking of the pastoral epistles. Well, what is an epistle? Well, that's easy. It's a, it's a letter. It's a, it's a written communication. And Paul wrote many epistles. He wrote, again, the epistle to the church of Rome, the epistle to the church of Thessalonica and Corinthians and Ephesians. They're all letters. These particular ones, the pastoral epistles, are called the pastoral epistles because he's writing them to two men who are pastors, Timothy and Titus. And we're going to see in there it's some instruction for leadership in particular. But even beyond that, it's a good word for all of the church as we read it and as we look at it. It was, yes, written to individuals, but it was also good for the entire church. The first few verses of each one of these books tells us, again, who wrote the letters, to whom it was addressed or written to. The letters were written over a time span actually of only about four years. It's kind of interesting when we look at this. The, the, the ones that were written first were actually First Timothy and Titus. These were written, they believe, between two imprisonments of Paul's. Paul was in prison in Rome twice. Between that first imprisonment and the second is when he would have written First Timothy and the book of Titus. Second Timothy was actually written when Paul was in prison a second time, which was also the final time because from that point in time, Paul was executed. We understand all of this was written around AD 64 to about 67 in that time frame of years. We understand, man, this is, this is just shortly, we're talking 30 years after the, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ and the churches that have been started being stabilized, but then all of a sudden they're, they're starting to go off balance and, and, and out of kilter, receiving to themselves wrong doctrine, wrong teachings. As we first look at Timothy, I want you to take your Bibles if you would. We're not going to get in-depth to Timothy this morning. This is just an introduction to it. But there's a couple of verses in here that I, I want you to pay attention to. There in First Timothy we find out that uh, Paul addresses some of the problems that he knows are going on in, in Ephesus. 
in 1 Timothy chapter 1, down in verse 6, we find out that some have already turned aside from the faith. Let me back up and begin reading in verse 5. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and from a sound conscience and from sincere faith, from which some have strayed, having turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. So not only have they gone away from the truth of the gospel, but now they want to be teachers of something they don't even understand. Paul is telling Timothy, man, you need to guard over that. Watch out for that because they're already there in the church. He says that some have made a shipwreck of their faith. Look at verse 19. And again, I'll back up to verse 18 of chapter 1. Paul writes, this charge I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, having faith and a good conscience which some, having rejected concerning the faith, they've suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now, there's a lot right there that we'll cover when we get there. But number one, did you notice? I can't believe it. Paul mentioned names. (gasps) You're not supposed to mention names of people. Well, Paul did, actually, Paul does that quite regularly in his writings. Hymenius and Alexander, we don't know if that's Alexander the silversmith uh, that uh, he speaks of elsewhere, or if it's another one, but we do know that here he says, I've delivered them over to Satan? Are you kidding me? That's a pretty powerful statement. But the interesting thing about that, even as he says that, Paul says, I've done that, in order that they might learn not to blaspheme. Maybe these guys are even brothers. They've gotten so messed up in their walk. They're so messed up that Paul says, man, there might be hope for them. Remember when we were going through the uh, book of 1 Corinthians and Paul said that one that was there at the church that was involved in sexual immorality, he says, man, deliver that one under Satan or deliver that one to Satan in order that he might learn. And then in 2 Corinthians, he speaks about bringing that brother back so that he doesn't get absolutely you know, overwhelmed and, 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 and undone because there's no hope. I don't know. We'll look at that when we get into the study uh, there in chapter 1. He also speaks that some have fallen away again in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times or latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. This church is getting messed up a lot. There's all kinds of things that are coming against them. And Timothy, it's your job to go in there and straighten them out. Timothy, you better be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You better be ready to be able to stand firm in the course because, again, if you don't have that passion, if you don't have that zeal, if you don't have that stick-to-itiveness, you're going to get eaten up, Timothy. And so Paul is writing him here. Others, again, some have literally turned after Satan. Look at chapter 5. There in chapter 5 and in verse 15, 
Some have already turned aside after Satan. Are you kidding? Within the church, they've, they've actually turned that way? We're going to look and see what he's saying there as we get into the study. Others, again, led astray. Chapter 6, look at verse 10. In chapter 6, verse 10, Paul says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and they pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You see, right there, it tells us that money is evil. Is that what it says? No. It says the love of money is the root of evil. Can God use money for his purposes? Absolutely, and he does. He spreads the gospel with it. He gives opportunity to proclaim the gospel, to support works of ministry. But when, again, money becomes our focus, it becomes then within us a different root, a different foundation, and again, can lead us way astray. And then in chapter 6 also, many have missed the mark. Look down in verse 20. He says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and idle babblings and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. By professing, again, these these idle babblings, these contradictions, what's falsely called knowledge, they've been led astray. The primary thing that he's saying here is, man, the church needs to finish well. You and I, as the church, we need to finish well. We're all in this race together. And there's so many opportunities that the enemy throws at us that can get us off track, can get us going different directions, can get our focus away from the main thing. And Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, when you go there or as you're there serving in Ephesus, man, guard these things, speak to these things, direct these things, correct these things. Look with me, if you would, at the very beginning there of First Timothy, chapter one, the first couple of verses. And we're not gonna go into them in depth, but I do want to get a good start on it this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ, our Lord. So the question is, is, Who is the author? Who's writing this letter? Paul. I mean, he puts his name on the letter. But do you know that right now in in what is called higher criticism, there's a lot of people that are saying, no, you know, I I don't think Paul really wrote that. I think somebody else wrote that. You think, well, wait a minute, Paul's name is on it. How can somebody else write that? Well, higher criticism actually started in the early and mid-1900s. And again, it's that study of going and critiquing every aspect of the word. And they've taken it to where the first five books of the Bible, uh, surely Moses didn't write all of that. Somebody else wrote that. So they've sliced and diced that, even though uh, Jewish rabbis and scholars for millennia have spoken and said, no, Moses wrote that. Uh, even up until the 1900s. Even in the uh, the writings of the Apostle Paul, 
Well, surely Paul didn't write that. Even when we go into the Gospels, higher criticism starts slicing and dicing, and the red letters that we see in our Bibles that said this is what Jesus spoke, they go through and say, oh, no, he didn't say that. No, no, Jesus didn't say that. No, that was added afterwards. No, that was, and pretty soon they slice and dice the whole thing to where you suddenly have a Bible full of holes with absolutely no foundation and literally absolutely useless. And yet mankind from the earliest of centuries, the church fathers in the early first centuries of the church, again, proclaimed the truth, proclaimed the, the reality that no, these are the words that Jesus spoke, these are the writings of Paul, and they received it. And it wasn't until these much later, latter days, I believe that we are in the latter of the latter days, the attack continues to come to try and again, discredit the word of God. Paul, the apostle, writing this, and he writes it under the authority of Jesus Christ. He was one who was sent out by the command of God, not by the command of others. He was an apostle under orders. And what is an apostle? He is one that is sent out. And in this state and time, he was one of the founding apostles. The, pl- the position and place that those founding apostles had was authority within the church. Now we can look and are there apostles today? Are there those that are sent out? Yes, they are, but it's not the same kind of authority. It's not the same kind of foundation of setting the church in order that was there in the first century. It is a command of what Paul says here, God our Savior. You think God our Savior. I I, I thought Christ was our Savior. Yes, God and Christ. Again, God our Savior. But you need to understand that little phrase, God our Savior, very similar to what Mary said. Again, after she knew that she was going to be with child of the Messiah, the Christ of God, Mary in her Magnificent declares in Luke chapter 1, she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So she understood that thing. What we don't see here in our culture in our day is that God, our Savior, was an idiom of of Hebrew. They, They understood what they were saying, why they said it. Paul understood what he was saying and why he said it. Again, both Old Testament and New Testament, we see that phrase, God, my Savior. He's called as an apostle. He's called by the command of God. And he's called by the appointment of, ordained by, and under the immediate commission of both the Father and of Christ to set in order and to proclaim the truth of the gospel. His call, as I said earlier, not the choice of man, not the will of man, but by the authority and by the appointment of God himself. And the book is addressed to Timothy. To Timothy, this young man who, as we go through this letter, we're going to find out that the power of that letter reaches much more than just that one man, reaches not only to the whole church, but it reaches to us even today. And Timothy, he says, you are a true son in the faith. Timothy began following Paul when he was a very young man. His grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, both of them believed to be believers, sharing with him the truth of the gospel. We find out in the book of Acts that Timothy's father was a Greek. We do not believe that he was saved. There's just no, uh, again, evidence of his salvation at all. As a matter of fact, he's not even in the picture other than that one little verse in Acts chapter 16 that says that Timothy's father was a Greek and that he's not in the picture at all. Paul might have been the one that even led Timothy to the faith. 
He speaks in verse two, you are a true son in the faith. In the introduction to 2 Timothy, he speaks to Timothy as a beloved son. But he also speaks a similar title to Titus. In Titus chapter one, he speaks of Titus, a true son in a common faith. So rather as, a, as an older man in Christ who had discipled these two young guys, he uses that phraseology, or rather he led both of these young men to Christ. We're not certain on that, but we do know that the influence of the Apostle Paul on these young men was powerful and powerful to bring them not only to maturity in Christ, but then also to launch them out into ministry. Beloved, your life in Christ makes a difference. Your impact in the lives of the people around you make a difference. I asked the congregation last night, and I'll ask you this morning, we look around at the number of people that are in the auditorium this morning. Can you just just think about it for a moment? Ponder a, a, a perhaps a guesstimate of the number of people in here who are actually ministers that are in, you know, maybe you can go up percentage-wise. You think, how many in this congregation right now this morning would be ministers? Let me help you. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Everyone in here who is a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a minister of the gospel. No, you don't need to turn your collar around backwards or anything. You are a minister of the gospel if you know Christ as your Savior. The question comes, though, is this. How good of a minister are we? Not just from a pulpit, not just from a Sunday school classroom, but in the grocery store, in my neighborhood, at my workplace, at the restaurant, as I'm driving down the, now let's not even do the driving down the freeway thing, but uh, <laughs> I get too convicted at that one. What kind of ministers are we to the world that's around us? Because we are all called to the ministry. We look at guys like Timothy and Titus, a very direct in the place that they're serving. But you know what? Each one of us are called and we come here to be equipped so that when we leave out these doors, we can minister to a lost and dying world around us. He tells Timothy here a little bit later, tells don't let anybody despise your youth. He was a young guy. Some think he was probably still in his 20s even. What is it in your life that people might look at and you might think, no, they won't listen to me because of this. And you can fill in the blank. Don't let anybody despise you because of your lack of education, because of your uh, uh, physical infirmities, because of your background, because of your ethnicity, because of your age, rather lack of age or too much age. Don't let anybody despise those things within you. Understand that God through the power of the Holy Spirit will and does and work through vessels of every sort, size, shape, age, ethnicity, background, education of every structure. Why? Because beloved, it's not you. It is the Holy Spirit working and moving in you. Are you going to be the one that will allow God to touch and move in your life? God can and will do it just as he does and just as he continued to be in Timothy's life. He can and will be in your life. The 
There's so much to learn from the pages of 1 Timothy, but sadly, we've come to the conclusion of today's message with Pastor David. You don't have to wait to hear another edition of The Open Word. Simply visit our website at theopenword.com and click on Teachings to download several past messages taught by Pastor David. You can also subscribe to our podcast to get each teaching as soon as it's made available. We're so glad you're part of our listening audience, and we'd love to connect with you. Find us on Facebook, learn more about us at theopenword.com, or just give us a call. We love hearing from our listeners. Our phone number is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. And if you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock a.m., and on Wednesdays and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word today. May God bless your continuing study of God's Word. Join us next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.